This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Most of you probably know something about the economic crisis affecting Venezuela right now, considered the worst crisis in the country's history. You may even be able to recall certain phrases associated with it, like hyperinflation or mass migration. And both of these are definitely true. The annual inflation rate is predicted to reach an astounding 1 million percent by the end of the year, and more than 2 million Venezuelans have left their country since 2014. But this is not the whole story. Many people are not able to leave, and those left behind are suffering from a severe humanitarian crisis brought upon by the plunging economy and controversial political decisions. Here with us to discuss the situation today is Eugenia Carmona, a Wharton student and a leader of a Venezuelan student group with a new initiative to spark international interest and help raise awareness and money. In September, the group held their first event, which they called Voices Against State Repression, in which Eugenia and two other students shared personal testimonies. Many attended and began contributing to the movement after hearing the jarring stories of what life has been like for these students at home. Eugenia, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, I was born and raised in Venezuela. I went to high school there, graduated there, and my entire family is still back home, my mom and my dad. And um, I am a junior at Warden. I'm studying finance and business analytics right now. And uh, lately, we've been starting these initiatives in order to help our country move forward. So first, to give some context, could you give us a brief overview of the political and economic environment and what led up to this point? So in 1999, Hugo Chavez rose to power through a Soviet military rhetoric and took advantage of a socioeconomically divided population in order to secure his power. So uh, throughout the time that he was president, he modified the constitution several times to allow for such things such as indefinite re-election. And uh, he, one of the first presidential measures that he took was to take over the uh, state oil company and to fire more than 20,000 employees from it. And uh, I mean, this was just the beginning of a series of lootings and taking over of uh, different companies in the country, especially private companies. Uh, so as he did this, corruption levels, of course, went up very highly. And uh, this corruption paired with economic mismanagement uh, just led to a contraction in the economy. So uh, there in Venezuela, there is no independent central bank. So the president himself was in charge of controlling the interest rates. So as he did this, the inflation levels uh of course, skyrocketed. And uh, at the same time, our currency devaluated, got like, it devaluated, it lost a lot of value against the US dollar. And uh, this started the complete contraction in our economy that has led us to the point where we are today. And uh, furthermore, this created a black market for US dollars, which uh, still exists. And uh, this led to more and more inflation. So Chavez died in 2013, and uh, at the same time, there was a global collapse in the price of oil, which was uh, very detrimental to us since our currency, since our economy is 95% dependent on oil. So um, after Chavez died, he left in power his successor, what, who he called his successor. His name is Nicolás Maduro, and he transitioned from being bus driver with no formal education and not even a confirmation of a high school diploma to being president of the country, and that is the person that is in power today. So uh, under the government of Maduro, we, the prices, the price levels have become unsustainable, and uh, this has led to uh, a lot of to a lot of scarcity. 
uh, especially in the food market, which created a second black market in the country, which is now the black market for food. So this has led to like very, very long lines and very like in supermarkets and a lot of malnutrition. And uh, this malnutrition paired with the condition of public hospitals and uh, the public health system in general has led to a severe humanitarian crisis that we are facing right now. And uh, this crisis paired with uh, the in, like insanely high crime rates that we have in the country has led to the situation that we have, which is just essentially complete chaos. So you mentioned a lack of basic amenities in supermarkets and in hospitals. Have you personally seen the effects of this in daily life? Yes. So um, as you go through the streets of Caracas, uh, you see that they are filled with lines of people just standing outside of supermarkets and pharmacies because the government essentially regulates the amount of products that you can take out of supermarkets that you can buy. So you can be lining up for five or six hours to just get one pack of rice or one pack of beans. So people are just in the streets lining up. And it's really, really sad to see mothers fighting each other in order to get just uh, some food so their babies can survive the night. And uh, I mean, I personally have seen this and uh, everyone who lives in Venezuela has been affected by it. My family personally, like they they have also been affected by the scarcity crisis. And uh, my professors in high school, especially, I visited this summer and I noticed uh a severe weight loss in most of them. And uh, this was, I mean, this was really, really sad to witness as I grew up going to the same school for 14 years. But um, it's when you put it in context, like the average Venezuelan has lost more than 27 pounds over the past year, which is an outstanding statistic. It's absurd. And uh, I mean, this is what the Venezuelan population has gone through. And this is the same situation is going on with medicine. So it's really, really hard to just endure the situation for most people. So what have you done being outside the country with access to these amenities to help? So um, personally, my dad is a type 2 diabetic. So I every time I go home, I have to, for example, bring insulin to him, which is the substance that he needs to survive. And the same way I do this with my dad, I do this with several, several family members and friends who, like, need basic amenities that you could, like, never think of that are not present in the country. So, like, we don't have Advil, we don't have Band-Aids, we don't have tampons, we don't have birth control. So, like, we have to bring all these resources home when I when I go back. That being said, I am part of the very, very lucky uh, small percentage of the population that can actually bring these resources to our families and the people that are there, but the, major- the greater majority of the people do not have this luck. And in order to help those people while being here in the United States, I think uh, I I have a responsibility to my country and to all those people that are suffering too, so much to just also raise awareness and raise uh, money for for them and raise money for to buy food and to just get medical supplies into the country. So I've been starting uh, certain initiatives with other Penn students here to in order to maximize the help that we can provide to those people that don't have the same luck. So to change the subject a little bit, you also mentioned crime earlier. How has safety changed in Venezuela? And have you, your family, or your friends been personally endangered by the crisis? Yes, for sure. Um, I think that in our dictionary, the word safety was replaced by danger a long time ago. Caracas, which is my native city and capital country, uh, has it's considered the most dangerous city in the world. And the crime rates in the country reached more than 27,000 in the past year. And this number is just the reported 
the reported homicides. So it might, like, I, I believe it is a lot higher than that, actually. Um, in Venezuela, no matter who you are, where you live, you are never safe. And uh, this precarious condition of safety are reflected in several aspects of daily life. Uh, so first of all, there is just life on the streets and what you could normally see in day-to-day life. So um, everyone knows someone or of someone who has been either robbed or kidnapped or assaulted, which is crazy when you bring it outside of the Venezuelan context. Um, and in fact, one of our fellow Venezuelan uh, Penn students had uh, a her grandmother was murdered under the Chavez administration. And uh, such as this, there are several, several crimes. I have friends from high school who have been kidnapped, and uh, it's just a very, very unfortunate situation. In the same way as that happens, uh, just like with daily life in the, in the streets, um, there is a lot of crime as far up as government officials. Personally, my father uh, has this private property in an island north of Venezuela. And uh, he's just like, it's his land that he's always owned and it has been passed down in my family for years. And uh, it was basically invaded by, I mean, just people that needed a place to live. And it's just an invasion of private property. And my father has been trying to combat like the fact that they were there and just tried to relocate them to another place. And uh, in order to do that, he, of course, tried to reach out to the authorities and like, Ended up talking to the governor of the island who, like, asked him for a massive bribe in exchange. And he just refused to give that moment, that money to a government that would spend the money on, like, drugs and drug trafficking and, I mean, just corruption. So um, as he denied to do that, uh, this news that my father was trying to expel these people just came out. And uh, ever since then, my father has received several, 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 several death threats from the people that are invading his land. And every time he flies there for business, it's just scary to know that he's putting his life in danger. So as a consequence of this, just like streets in Caracas are empty after 6 p.m., there are no cars, and it's just a very... um, Unfortunate situation. Uh, just last fact. This last fact about this: uh, political prisoners have also suffered a very, very terrible luck, and I think they are the ones that are most affected by this safety and torture crisis. So uh, recently, Lauren Saleh, who was a uh, polit- like a human rights activist, was uh, released. He was in prison for a while uh, under the Maduro administration, and uh, he just uh, exposed all his testimonies about being tortured by the government for several years. And I believe it's very interesting to read. And uh, we'll publish the link as well, so you can have access to that interview. I think it's important. So apart from that article, why is it that we haven't seen much about this in the media? So uh, the media was essentially shut down by the Chavez government. He started with the closing of a company which was called Radio and TV of Caracas, which uh, is actually was actually uh, owned and founded by one of her fellow Venezuelan Penn students as well, like her family founded it in the 50s. And uh, they were targeted for years and years and years because they were just publicizing these messages that were anti-government, obviously because of the whole crisis that was going on. The channel... This was the biggest TV channel in the country. It was forcefully shut down by the government. And in the same way that they have done that with that channel, they've done it with hundreds of media uh, outlets that like have any connection with the opposition. Uh, such was the case of my family, actually. Uh, my my like my great, great, great grandfather actually founded the the oldest newspaper in the country back in the 1800s. And uh, it was shut down on December 31st of 2016 because uh, the government just believed that we were publicizing messages against them. And uh, the last edition was printed on that, day, on that day because they cut down the supply of papers, so we could never publish anything again. 
So that's why and nothing you can't see anything in the media. So what can we do from outside of Venezuela to help? So there are two main things that I consider really, really important and I, that I think your average person can do. And I say this for all international uh, students, also all American students here, and especially all the Venezuelan students that are abroad. Uh, so these two main things that I consider important is, first of all, raising awareness, because I think there is a lack of awareness from the international community in general. So I think that just commenting what is going on amongst your family, your friends, and people that are close to you can have an, a long-term impact as this reaches uh, international organizations, and hopefully this can spark an international humanitarian intervention that can help our, our population just uh, move forward and, I mean, maybe just send a message to the, the government and this can maybe have an impact. And uh, I think that the second way that we can all help is by raising funds, given that the crisis is severe and we need to solve this problem now. We cannot wait for the long-term results. Um, and in order to raise funds uh, here at Penn, we have come up with uh, a new plan, which essentially is raising money for the subsidiary of United Way in Venezuela which uh, essentially what they're doing is just feeding, giving nutritional supp supplements to the children that are younger than, I mean, the, from the moment they're born until they reach four years of age, because that's the age of more that your brain is developing, like mostly. So um, we are really targeting that right now, and we are raising funds through a Venmo account that is called at Venezuela Pen. And uh, we have raised some funds through there, and we encourage all Venezuelan students in other schools to just do the same in order to help our country. What do you think will happen in the future for Venezuela? So the future is very, very uncertain. We don't know what is going to happen. I don't think I am the right person to just necessarily answer that question. It's very controversial. Um, I mean, I hope and I am optimistic about the fact that we will be able to get out of this situation because I genuinely do believe that Venezuela is one of the best countries in the world. And uh, we actually have the largest oil reserves in the world. We were the fastest growing economy of Latin America during a lot of the 20th century. And uh, I mean, I, I do think we have a lot of potential for growth and not just economic or in the business sense. I think we have great people, everyone in Venezuela, like, People, even with this crisis, they tend to be supportive of each other. They tend to be, they have just like Latin warmth that I think it's hard to find in other places. And uh, we just have a myriad of uh, natural resources. We have the highest waterfall in the world. We have the Amazon rainforest. We have beautiful beaches. We have great cities. So I think that with a little bit of investment and, I mean, just if we put the effort into reconstructing our country, I think it is doable. So, I mean, I hope we can get out of these chaos and crisis that we're in right now with the support of all of you. Thank you so, so much for coming. No, thank you so much for having me. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.